0: The following is a presentation of the Retro Network.
1: Surprise, TV fans! We're back! Yes, Halloween is almost over, but there was one more house at the end of the street still giving out full-size candy bars, and this is it. A bonus episode of Remember That Show starts now. Remember that show back Remember. But we got a podcast to help you remember that show
0: That's right. Trick or Treat is the motto of the Halloween season, and we felt like the mini-monsters ended up being a trick that didn't leave a good taste in our mouths. So we decided to come back with a treat for you all as we cover another forgotten monster-themed cartoon
1: series. Oh, yes, indeed. We had that discussion after we wrapped recording. We're just like, you know what? (laughs) Wish we would've liked that one better. Wish we had nicer things to say. So we will get into this new one that we feel has a, a nice fun atmosphere to it but first we're gonna look back again on our happiest halloween memories as we push play on our theme song
0: when you're a kid it feels like one half of your brain is thinking about tv and the other half is obsessed with the pursuit of candy Sometimes they even crossed over as TV commercials for candy playing in between our favorite shows. Can you remember a candy commercial that made you wish you would get that particular treat in your bag
1: on Halloween night? That's the thing, right? Like, it really is, like, your main pursuit, I feel like, as a kid. It's just like, candy, candy, candy. Where do I get more candy? But the advertisements I feel like I saw, and I'm sure for you too was mostly in comic books. They were full of candies. The inside cover always had that Brock's Rocks ad, you know, it was kind of a comic book, you know, thing that they had going on there. But for me on TV, Ring Pop had the best jingle in the history of candy promotion. It's a lollipop without a stick, a juicy julep flavor you can't lick. I mean, it's peppy, it's fun. It explains the premise of the candy. It just, it says it all. But Ring Pop, teamed in my mind with Push Pop and I don't know if they were the same manufacturer if they were back-to-back ads but Push Pop had the catchphrase don't push me push a Push Pop while this bully is literally you know shoving this kid the idea for me as a you know a nine-year-old an eight-year-old that a push-pop could end schoolyard bullying, of which I got plenty of that. I just felt like that was an amazing premise. And it just it speaks directly to certain kids. Probably most kids feel bullied at some point, you know. So I was just like, man, if I just handed over a push-pop and that was the end of it. I do want to say though, a special mention goes to the Twizzlers' lips. In those 80s and early 90s commercials because I was strangely attracted to these glossy, disembodied female lips. It made me want Twizzlers in my treat bag because I imagined that's what the lips would taste like. I was a weird kid. But what about you, Will? What about you?
0: Well, first off, let's just have a moment of silence for all those kids on the playground who were beaten up and had their Push Pop stolen from <laughs> They They tried it. Did not work. Did not work. I'm in the same boat with you I mean the comics jump out at me because I remember like there are two that stand out to me from comic books is the Twizzler lips usually on the back cover of books and I love getting 80s comics with bonkers ads it seems like something happened around 1991 where bonkers were retconned from like existence no one talks about them anymore no one like reminisces about them. There's no like website dedicated to them that I found. I'm sure it's out there and somebody's going to tell us about it. But like bonkers are the ones I remember. But for like TV, There's so many, but the ones that like stood out to me weren't necessarily ones that like I wanted to eat, if that makes sense. Like the memorable ones, of course, there's Mentos, whatchamacallit, the Twizzler Lips, of course, and then the how many licks with the owl for the Tootsie Roll Pop. I mean, candy commercials were just like everywhere. And then when that scientist discovered Blue Raspberry in 1991, they just like increased exponentially
1: yeah oh and that, that is true they had a whole new color they had a whole new idea you know for where they could take everything yeah so so many we'd love to hear your favorite candy commercials as well because i mean even just like seasonal stuff like the cadbury cream eggs right like that would play every year with that rabbit you know and you're just like what is this all about but let's go check out the bats in the belfry as we push the button for the 666th floor and get into our elevator pitch
0: This time around, we're talking about a short-lived animated series from 1991 called Little Dracula that aired on the Fox Kids Network. Little Dracula was actually based on a series of children's books of the same name that were created by UK author Martin Waddell and illustrated by Joseph Wright. Thirteen episodes were produced, but only six ended up airing before the show was replaced by the much more popular Beetlejuice cartoon. The series was produced by Walker Hahn Productions, who were made up of professionals that had worked on the real Ghostbusters, Silverhawks, Thundercats, Mr. T, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and many more top-tier cartoons. They had a great pedigree. But what were some of your favorite scary books to read as a kid?
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Little Dracula was not in our school libraries or even our public libraries. They guessed they did not cross the pond. From the descriptions of those books, they were pretty, like, gruesome and fun, you know? So I would have loved to have read that. But for me, like, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and its sequels were all the rage in my elementary school library. I actually have them now, like, first printings. And I also recently found this YA horror novel called Fun House by Diane Ho at a thrift store, and just the memories came flooding back because that was my gateway to horror when I was younger. But the early part of the '80s and going forward, the the bright orange Crestwood House monster book series, right, were the books that I checked out the most. These were my introduction to like classic horror movies, and I love that they weren't just like dumbed down versions of the movie stories for kids they covered the history of each character in film with like brief descriptions of each movie they appeared in so really you could get the whole history i've always loved looking back on old media even from time periods before i was born right when i was younger i I was interested i was soaking all that up so i'll just say people who follow my social media know that i recently found a way to get a stack of these books from a rural library here in montana and now they are part of my personal library i couldn't be happier it is just looking at them every day walking into my office i'm like ah that beautiful beautiful shade of orange (laughs) (laughs) what about you well what were you reading the scary stuff
0: uh, not really i mean we were talking about this on social media the other day where it's like my school the scary stories to tell in the dark books were also very popular i think we just they hit at just the right time is it what is it alvin schwartz is yeah. that his name between that and the nfl huddle series there was a constant like waiting list for those books and i don't even know if i was like psychologically ready for that because i've always been like a kid like I I'm very sensitive and I don't like horror and I I am emotionally fragile <laughs> and So, like those books kind of left a mark on me you know but that was the thing in that era and then I know a little bit later there were goosebumps but I didn't really read goosebumps I was actually really surprised down the road to learn that like jovial Bob Stein who wrote the joke books is also R.L. Stein who's scaring the pants off my classmates you know so i was more of like a christopher pike kid but i just kind of veered through that aisle between hardy boys books i didn't really stick with it because i'm not really a scary book guy so at the end of the day it comes back to the scary stories to tell in the dark that's my horror childhood
1: goosebumps didn't even occur to me it's such like an omnipresent brand now that like i i have a ton of goosebumps books i did buy them back in the day it's almost like just took for granted the fact that there was this great series that was so popular you didn't even think about it being like forbidden or scary it was just like this is great it's got a tv show what are you gonna do you know right 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 but speaking of tv shows let's talk about the premise of little dracula or little d as he's called he is a bald green vampire kid he's voiced by Eden Gross who is the voice of Flounder from The Little Mermaid he actually did a ton of stuff if you look at his IMDb you're like whoa 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 he was all over the place this character he lives in a castle with his family and the family's headed up by his father who is referred to in the credits as Big Dracula not Count Dracula (laughs) he is voiced by Joe Flaherty who played a horror host Count Floyd on the Canadian sketch comedy show SCTV probably know him from Happy Gilmore is like hey Gilmore, you suck. (laughs) You jackass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love him. But also, they have an assistant. You gotta have Igor, right? And Igor is voiced by Jonathan Winters. Uh, it's actually pretty fascinating, his take. We'll get into that a little bit later. But Little D is constantly fighting off the attacks of Garlic Man and his minions, No Eyes and Maggot. While trying to join life as a regular 90s kid, he's got a pal named Ware Bunny. He's got this little hand he calls Handy, that's basically thing from the Adams family, but green. This colorful cast of characters also inspired a line of action figures now what's strange is when you look at the action figures you have dreamworks on the packaging but then some of the vehicles say bandai and i don't know if it was two different production runs it was the same company but had a different name did bandai get called dreamworks in the uk or something like i don't know if you know the answer to that but i was like what is this
0: apparently they were the same company dreamworks was a software like video game kind of company and then there were some like trademark issues and then it went defunct and it merged with bandai so even though the packaging says dreamworks those figures are still actually from bandai because you would know how to pronounce this better than i would from california cerritos 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 yep the address is the same same as Bandai of America. I know because I used to write them letters when I was trying to get Power Rangers toys.
1: <laughs> so
0: they are essentially the same company at this point in time.
1: <laughs> yeah, that dream works, like you said, a software company, nothing to do with Steven Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, any of those guys over there doing Shrek. Right. But speaking of action figures, Will, so on episode two, we talked about how bizarre it was that Swan's Crossing had an action figure line. But can you think of another classic TV show? That you were surprised to learn inspired toys, or you saw in real time as a kid get an action figure line?
0: There are two that jumped to mind for me, and if I'm not mistaken, they're both from Mego. They're in the Pocket Heroes line, and that would be MASH and The Love Boat. Because I don't understand any kid, even though we grew up with G.I. Joe, a real American hero, and war toys and things like that were kids like ooh I want to reenact the Korean war but only the mobile army surgical hospital not the actual war I just want to do surgery off to the side you know like those figures are always weird to me and I know like people online who are trying to track them down cuz they're not really easy to find especially carded but those are such like adult concepts to me that I don't think they would translate to kids in an era when toys were meant for play. Like in today's collector's universe, it's like, oh, that's an adult collectible and we don't think anything about it. Super 7 makes it and charges $25 a figure. But back then, when they were like 12 cents at the five and dime, you know, like what kids wanted these things?
1: Yeah, I remember seeing those in the Tomart action figure price guide and being so confused. I'm just like a Hawkeye figure, but it's not the Marvel Hawkeye. It's Alan right. The one that stood out to me, though, it, I remember it confused me when I saw it in stores, was the Rosie O'Donnell show Barbie doll. For those who don't remember, we know Rosie O'Donnell, you know, from A League of Their Own. And uh, what, what was that one with Dan Aykroyd? Exit to Eden? Is that? Yes, that one? The, the S&M <laughs> Yeah, is weird. Uh, Another stakeout. I think she was in that sequel. But Rosie O'Donnell, at a certain point, just became this pop culture figure that got a talk show that was on in the afternoons. She was shooting koosh balls into the audience. She essentially created the Tickle Me Elmo phenomenon. She did all of that. But you got to think, yes, we knew who she was. But what kid was going to play with a Rosie doll? Like, what would you do? Are you going to stage an interview with a Donnie and Marie doll? Because they were frequent guests and, like, fill-in hosts for her before they got their own daytime talk show that was super awkward. Did not like watching that. I actually grew up. Donnie Osmond lived uh, in my city and he was friends with friends of mine. So I knew his kids and stuff. And it was just weird to see the stuff that they made them do on that show. But anyway, (laughs) like, even if you think of a talk show host setup, you know, Conan O'Brien had a bunch of wacky recurring characters on his show that you could theoretically make a toy line out of but Rosie was just a middle-aged lady in a pantsuit so it just did not make sense to me that that, that, that ever came out it, and that was definitely I guess adult collectors at that point so
0: <laughs> I see that and I raise you the Rosie O'Dall in your thrift travels, have you found that? Because that is up there with Band of Brothers. Like, you can't call yourself a thrift store if you don't have at least a copy of Band of Brothers and a Rosie doll, which is the <laughs> plush Rosie O'Donnell doll. She's always in the box, because no one, everyone thought she'd be a collector's item. And that's what gets me even more, because they thought your kid was gonna, like, cuddle and sleep with Rosie O'Donnell.
1: Yeah, that was strange. I've only seen it at, like, the antique malls. I've never seen you know sitting on a shelf somewhere so maybe there wasn't a lot of Rosie in montana that's that's kind of a strange phenomenon i will say the little dracula figures are actually pretty fun they they're very like playable they had a lot of vehicles there was just a lot of just cool little like you know obviously variations on little dracula himself so i feel like as a concept to tie into the cartoon or use the cartoon to promote they did a pretty good job there bandai
0: Oh, I definitely agree. I was looking at some of these on eBay tonight, and I mean, one thing Bandai was doing at that time that other companies weren't, they believed in knees. Like, like knee and elbow articulation was this modern marvel that didn't occur till around like 97, but Bandai was ahead of the curve. (laughs) Yeah. Now we want to explore just how a show like Little Dracula fit into the TV landscape of the 90s. Maybe it got the go-ahead because the main character matched the color scheme of that oh-so-powerful phrase that got him the green light. (laughs)
1: By the early '90s, I feel like the standards for gross-out humor in kids' entertainment had definitely been loosened from where they were in the '80s, because you know, in the '80s there were shows like Garbage Pail Kids that got canceled before they even aired due to like these watchdog groups harassing the networks and things like that. But now we had like boundary pushing Nicktoons, the Ren and Stimpy show. I mean, that paved the way for the equally gross, slightly more cuddly Rocco's Modern Life, and then Ah. Ah, Real monsters! Even, like, the hard R-rated movies inspired, you know, something like Toxic Crusaders. I can't believe that, you know, we're getting the Toxic Avenger remake coming up here. I'm just like, what? Uh, But then there was also, you know, the creepy, kooky, and ooky Adams family that aired on ABC just a year later. Like, so there was something in there. Of course, there's the previously mentioned Beetlejuice cartoon, which was a major hit on Fox. took the place of Little Dracula. So all these programs, though, what was in there that was different now well they had a lot of cartoonish mutilations a lot of silly violence characters hitting each other bodily function gags and all those other things that kids find fascinating in elementary school to talk about on the playground but they get in trouble once they get back to class you know if <laughs> many of that comes out so i'm curious of the shows we've mentioned or maybe one we haven't which of them made you feel like you were getting away with something when you watched them as a kid
0: that's a great question, Um, because there was a lot of that going on. And, and you mentioned Toxic Crusaders, but I'm weird in that I went in the reverse. I was introduced to Toxie through the Toxic Crusaders. So later on, when I learned about Trauma and all of that, I was like, oh, my God, what did they have us watching? <laughs> but I kind of went in a different direction when it came to those shows where I always felt, like i was getting away with something when i was watching one of those vanity cartoons they had given to like the stand-up comic of the moment you know like i'm amazed we didn't get a dice cartoon but like it started slowly we got bobby's world from howie and then we got life with Louie, which i loved but Who looked at Louis Anderson and thought, oh, this guy would make a great kids cartoon? (laughs) And then we had Little Rosie. And it's like, okay, Roseanne was a hit for ABC. But this is also kind of around the national anthem controversy and all of that. Like, she wasn't really... Like, her, people kind of knew of her stand-up and she hadn't been sanitized yet. Like, we're not talking season six Roseanne at this point, you know? So again, it's one of those, like, who thought this was good for kids? There was no smoke screen over it like Fat Albert and the Cosby kids, you know? Like, only a little bit of his stand-up came out and he was always, like, family friendly until we learned the truth. But, like, these other
1: people, they were, like, adult comics. Yeah, well, you know I, and I mean, even somehow Bruce Willis got Bruno the Kid and like right. Bruce Willis is all R-rated action films and then all of a sudden he does Hudson Hawk and he's like now I could be an animated cartoon also Hudson Hawk is for kids it got a video game <laughs> right
0: right right so yeah anything that was like based on like an older concept was just like, I never got into the gross out stuff because a lot of that was on cable and I didn't have cable. So I missed Ren and Stimpy and I missed M- Rocco's Modern Life and all the Nicktoons, really. But like the hey kids, your parents like this guy. And now here's a miniature version of them for Saturday mornings. Like that was where I felt like I was getting away with
1: something. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to say, for me, it was Ren and Stimpy because it was basically the elementary school equivalent of beavis and butthead like before that was like really hitting you know you had red and snippy and it it was a show where if you were watching it and your parents walked in they would groan and ask you to turn it off and personally i was pretty disgusted actually as a kid by all the extreme close-ups by nose goblins protruding butt cheeks like just all this stuff like even as a kid i was just like but my friends were talking about it they had the farting dolls Marvel made a comic. I mean, it was so ever present that I would tune in every once in a while. But it turns out all I really wanted was the Powdered Toast Man segments or a log commercial. You know, like I wanted those, but I didn't want Red and Stimpy themselves. Cause I was just like, eh, not for me.
0: <laughs> right, right. I, I think I've said it before in that because I didn't have cable. I would always look forward to like vacations because you're staying in a motel or hotel. And that's when I would catch up on shows. And I remember Ren and Stimpy and Absolutely Fabulous are two shows where they're the earliest memories of me forcing myself to laugh. Like, I had heard that these were, like, funny shows. And if I wasn't laughing, something was wrong with me. So it was the first time in my life, like, I'm faking it till I make it. Like, I'm laughing along to Ren and Stimpy, but not finding it funny. And, like, that has stuck with me to this day. Even when I try to watch it now, I'm like, what did people see here? Yeah, uh, Just wired differently. But there was also a creepiness in live-action TV as well, with the hugely popular Unsolved Mysteries, the quirky tales of eerie Indiana, terrifying Tales from the Crypt on HBO, the syndicated Forever Night Vampire Adventure series, Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon, and the constant reboots of The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits. There was even an attempt to give Elvira her own sitcom and revive the monsters with the monsters today did you have a favorite show to tune into for a few scares
1: it was weird because it, it really did feel like you know just especially on saturday afternoons you kind of talked about that during our mini monsters episode with the outer limits you know but i know the one that always stood out to me and i remember it freaking me out uh, was an episode of the new alfred hitchcock presents that is like this horror, creepy, thriller anthology series that a lot of people don't remember. Because I used to watch the old Alfred Hitchcock Presents on Nick at Night. And there was this episode called Twisted Sisters, and it starred Mia Sarah. It was, this is a post-Ferris Bueller, Mia Sarah. It was about sorority girls who were haunted by a former pledge that died during an initiation at a house of horrors. And because I had just read that Funhouse novel that I was ta- talking to you about, something about teen girls being Terrorized in Scary Dark Ride Scenarios. That was my sweet spot for horror at age nine. <laughs> I don't know what it was, <laughs> but it, it just kept coming back around. I think it was just because I had a crush on my babysitters. These girls look like my babysitters, you know? <laughs> so anyway, but th- that, that was a series that whenever I could find it on, I would I would always want to check out the new Alfred Hitchcock Presents after seeing that episode. I was like, oh, this one's pretty serious. And honestly, it's better than Freddy's Nightmares. It's better than Tales from the Dark Side. It really was pretty good. Production values, pretty good acting, even.
0: For me, there are these glimmers that pop through. I mean, of course, I remember the monsters today, because there's the whole, like, Curf war between Adam's family and the monsters. Pepsi and Coke. Like, I was really into the monsters today, because I was like the king of syndication, and it was along the lines of like, what a dummy, and all the other crap you would see on Saturday afternoon, so I liked the monsters today, but it wasn't scary. When it comes to like, scary stuff, I couldn't deal with Unsolved Mysteries. That was too far. The, the music, the Robert Stack, <laughs> and all that, it, it was too much. I would watch Tales from the Crypt, but I was watching the syndicated package always kind of hoping maybe a boob would slip through like (laughs) they got (laughs) lazy with the editing but that wasn't really scary that just always kind of had that like twist like the comics but to me there are certain images there was one show I can't remember I don't think it's Tales from the Dark Side I think it was like Creatures or something where I remember the opening credits where it seems like it's just like a normal family getting together to like watch TV one night but then as you like get closer to them they're like monsters and like the little girl has one eye i still don't know what it's from but like i remember that opening credit sequence and then i think it's Freddy's nightmares because i think i only saw that once but there was an episode about a race and it was like a high school college race or whatever and i remember that when the winner got to the finish line and you like run through the ribbon it sliced her head off and the head kind of like flips up in the air, <laughs> and the body just kind of falls, and then the head conveniently lands right back on the severed neck. <laughs> like past the finish line and i was like nope and i turned that right off so those two (laughs) things are burned into my head as far as like syndicated
1: scares i think the one you're remembering though it was called monsters that was that show yeah what i like about this show is we don't just jump right into the show itself we give you a little tease then we're gonna we're gonna dance around we're gonna do the nostalgia dance there's so much area to play in and that's good for the soul but now it's time to sink our teeth into little dracula to tell you what we liked about the show as we gather around the vampire dining room table and say cheers i i feel like this could only be in comparison to the mini monsters so when you <laughs> get into little dracula will what is the first thing that you noticed that you liked
0: well starting out i remember it <laughs> You know, like, as I said last time, charter member of the Fox Kids Club. I remember all of those early day lineups. And I remember how they would show you like six episodes of a show and then yank it for something else, as they did here. So, like, I remember it. I had forgotten the visual you know like when we were talking about little dracula i think part of me was thinking like count ducula part of me was think- like there are all these bootleg vampires in my head and then when i watched it i was like oh it's that little green bastard and i remembered everything like right then and there so like off the bat it felt like a cartoon of the time and i know i said that about many monsters but what got me here was like This is very 90s. They dress up in these costumes as, like, normal kids. And it's, like, 90s to the extreme. And I just kind of liked being taken back to that era. As far as, like, animation style, though, it wasn't slick. Like, it looked like they were still kind of using methods from the 80s. It reminded me more to get, like, into the weeds. It was more syndicated the real ghostbusters than saturday morning the real ghostbusters but that's still kind of like a comfort spot for me so like it was just it was comforting watching it it's one of those like they don't really make them like that anymore in that yeah it's dracula but it's not any dracula that we know about like they're kind of dancing between the raindrops of continuity (laughs) like it's not universal dracula it's a kid named dracula who (laughs) happens to be a vampire and that was really all you needed you know if they'd called him like little vampy i probably would have hated it but just like i wanted from many monsters like they committed to a property to be
1: like buoyed to that's what i liked about it i think that is a huge difference is that they do not sanitize or dumb down this show in terms of Dracula lore. Big Dracula literally admits to flying down to the village every night to drink the blood of the humans. Or like a glass eye pops out into a guy's cup and then he drinks it. You know the grandma her arms pop off and there's this henchman his name is No Eyes when he takes off his glasses he literally has empty eye sockets and they look all gross and then he blows stuff out of them. Like it's, just, it's gross all over the place and I love Love that fact that they were not afraid to just say it's monsters this is what a monster universe would be like you know and plus the show is high energy like it's a gag a minute there's always something silly going on in the background or even in between lines of dialogue they will just stop and they'll do like a quick visual joke and then get back to the story one joke in particular that was just really funny to me is little d is in his coffin in his crypt you know having a daymare about some knockoff Bears frolicking in a field. And then his mom comes in. She's like, are you okay? And then she hands him a cup of blood. Although for some reason they did call it juice for that one. And I was like, hmm, the censors got to him for one thing, but the variety of the humor too is cool because they have stuff only adults would get. And then goofy gross out humor for kids, like heads are detached from bodies on a regular basis on this show. So there's just, there's always something going on though. I love that. Whereas the mini monsters, could have been any camp show. The fact that they were monsters barely played into it at all. We talked about the vocal performances last time on many Monsters being kind of blasé, a strange choice. What do you like here with the actors? Well, Jonathan
0: Winters understood the assignment that he was hired to be Jonathan Winters. (laughs) Like, you get all the, like, impersonations, you get all that, which are completely over the heads of the kid audience, but the parents will get it, you know? Big D, I wasn't quite sure what was going on with him because there was one particular episode you pointed out to me where, like, when it starts, it sounds like he's doing that same kind of, like, Brooklyn accent that, like, I was chastising Mini monsters for. But over the course of the episode, it evolves into this, like foreign accent but i swear he doesn't start out with it so i'm almost like did they recast the role during production that was kind of inconsistent but i mean jonathan winters he was almost like taken for granted like i feel like it should have been jonathan winters presents little dracula
1: yeah well it's interesting that jonathan winters as igor is not doing like yes master you know he's not doing anything like that he's just talking right He's just a guy who's kind of like, he's got some quips. He's he, he's a fast talker. He's an inventor. So he's got all the answers they need, but he's just a regular dude. He does, like you said, his, his greatest hits. He does his Mod Frickert old lady character that he would do to play the grandma. And a lot of times they're going back and forth, Igor and the grandma. So he's just switching in between. So there, there is a lot of, of that going on. I do want to mention one thing about just the character motivations for the dad, because Big Dracula, you know, in some cases comes across like any sitcom dad, but he definitely has his own story to tell. He's not just there as like the authority figure for Little D in the Halloween episode, for example, you know, like going to the the costume party and schmoozing with the other adults. Like he always has something else going on for him that is not related to Little D's stories. Do you have anything else you liked?
0: (laughs) let's just say i enjoyed it more than the mini monsters but i have a lot more to talk about in this next segment because i mean despite it being better than the mini monsters little dracula still had his flaws so we're bringing out our claws as we get into our jeers what didn't work about the show
1: I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Well, some of my things here, the idea that the little kid is doing a Bella Lugosi Dracula voice, that doesn't work for me at all because they do so much to make him relatable to kids of the 90s. Like you said, they put him in a backwards baseball cap, you know, in neon clothes and shorts and everything. What is he doing? He's surfing. He's skateboarding in different episodes. Like they do all that, but then the voice comes out and he sounds like a grandpa from the old country you know and you're just like it's not the right take like he should have just been the second generation child of immigrants who speaks in a generic american accent like let everybody else have an accent but he should just kind of just be average voice because they just took me out every time i applaud that kid for being able to do the voice so consistently and do it well but i just don't think it was the right choice for the show There are certain elements also where the show was clearly inserting certain pieces just to sell toys. Like his car, the (laughs) Draxter. It's justified in the story as being a means for him to fly. His father wants him to learn how to fly on air currents like him and you need to practice your flying, you know, but like to me, I'm just like, you you just wanted to work a hot rod car in for this kid that has a rocket and wings can fly. Uh, Or his scepter that he gets eventually that allows him to create a doorway in any object because they actually sold that as a dress up kit style accessory kind of like Jafar's staff when Aladdin came out you could get that so just sometimes it was a little too obvious they were trying to spark a phenomenon that did not happen yeah and and the last thing I'll just say is I mentioned it before but the adult characters Get as much screen time as the kids, and so it feels like they're ignoring the core audience for a long stretch in each episode, which might account for why it did not keep the kids' attention and boost their ratings. Like it's enjoyable now as an adult, like, but a lot of the jokes, for example, about lawyers being blood suckers, that would go over a kid's head in a big way. Even though I feel like we heard that constantly in the '90s and all sorts of cartoons, but I'm just like, this is not for kids half the time, at least. All right, well, let's hear it. <laughs> okay. So, like,
0: to hop on what you just said, yeah, the the jokes. Some of them I wasn't sure how, like, cool they were. Because the, the lawyers is Bloodsuckers thing, but then his, like, alias was Title Bomb. And I was kind of like, what? This... I don't feel good here. But also, like... As the kids would say, it went too hard in terms of the horror. Like, the tone was uneven in that, okay, it's a goofy cartoon about a little vampire kid and his dad happens to be Dracula, but he's also Dracula. And I just kind of want kid antics from The Child of Dracula. But because there is the focus on Big Dracula, there are certain things that they point out. I mean, that like, okay, for example... It's implied that Big Dracula killed Elvis, and if not actual Elvis, at least an Elvis impersonator. Because for Halloween, they're dressing up in costumes that are actually the clothes left over from Dracula's former victims, and they let you know that like they don't dance around like oh where did these clothes come from and like even Igor says something about like you've got to start choosing victims with better fashion sense yeah so it's like he is killing people and attached to that I wasn't really sure who I'm supposed to root for because like little Dracula is the protagonist but Big Dracula is kind of a villain in that he's preying on the humans. But then there is a villain. There's the Garlic Head guy who wants to kill Big Dracula. Well, all the Draculas, because Dracula is his mortal enemy, and garlic, haha, vampires hate garlic. And so you would think, for the sake of the humans, I'm supposed to hope the Garlic guy wins. <laughs> but like he's he's the quote unquote villain. So that ball. Um, to back it up, it reminds me of this Artie Lang joke I heard on a podcast one time where he's talking about like this friend, the friend had a grandfather who loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but he always described it as, oh, it's about this teen broad who kills Dracula's. And I've always thought that was hilarious, because I love when people use Dracula as like a race or ethnicity, yeah, <laughs> rather than one person. So it seems like, is that what's happening here? Is it not that the kid, his name is Dracula, but no, he's a little Dracula, like a little bastard or <laughs> and big Dracula happens to be a larger dracula ethnicity or whatever like it made me think too hard like what are their real names what's going on here is big dracula like you said there's more to him and he he makes me question things too much i just want to see a wacky 90s kid doing radical kid stuff with a skateboard and i don't want to think too hard
1: i had moral issues with the show (laughs) Well, and yeah getting back to the villains you have these villains that yeah they're trying to take out the monsters that are technically monsters even though we kind of like them because they're shown to be a family we see their life but the other thing that's strange that kind of confused me is No-Eyes seems to be the brains behind the operation he seems to be the schemer and then like Garlic Man is the muscle but Garlic Man is the boss like he's like the right. Cobra Commander and No-Eyes is the Destro they kind of both want to be in charge but one of them somehow you know through nepotism I don't know you know Garlic Man gets to be the guy he's got the biggest gun and all the equipment or whatever so he's in charge I don't know but yeah that that was a little confusing to me because you're just like yeah but like they should win (laughs)
0: Right, right. And then like you just pointed out with that characterization, another confusing aspect to me, and like you could say it's a kid's show, don't think about it too hard, but I haven't been this confused about world building since The Amazing World of Gumball, which is like a favorite show of mine in the past few years. But my problem is, what kind of world is this? There's humans, there's vampires, okay, I can accept that. Then there's whatever garlic head guy is like what like i wanted him to just be a human in a mask but that's not the case he actually is like a garlic monster apparently and then there's a two-headed bird monster and then there's the purple guy in the elvis costume who's clearly the gay character that we're only supposed to realize when we get older and say
1: oh Whoa, they couldn't do that back then yeah deadwood like, and, and yeah. like and Igor's always kind of like picking on him and making him his lackey yeah
0: I don't understand the makeup of the world here they they're, they're asking too much of me.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate that they went so deep and so hard into all of it. But yeah, it definitely doesn't establish its rules very well. But I mean, obviously all those things led to it getting canceled in the middle of the first season. And that's a rough way for any show to meet its end. But maybe little Dracula just needed some new blood. We're ready to give the show a transfusion of fun as we appear on the scene. Yeah, we're coming into the operating room as the show dr aculas oh <laughs> anybody <laughs> we're gonna have to pay those scrubs writers <laughs> What we do here is we try to say, what could we do then to make little Dracula work? And Will, yeah, you've been dropping your little ideas here. I'm going to throw something out to you. And then let's see if you like where I'm going or if you want a totally different direction. But I think it's along the lines of what you're talking about. Because while I love all the literal colorful characters, you got purple people, you got green people, you got, uh, they're all over the place. The focus needs to be on the kids if you're trying to get the attention of young viewers so i would suggest really a reboot that opens with the family moving to a suburban town in middle america meanwhile little d is trying to fit in at school with the normal kids now here's where the fun stuff is to do this i want to incorporate the shape-shifting part of the dracula lore because they don't use that really other than change to a bat like that's the only thing that big dracula does so Little D has a human form he can take thanks to a magic amulet that lets him exist in daylight, go to school, do all those things. But then he transforms, you gotta have a transformation sequence, into little Dracula when he needs to use his powers against a bully or garlic man who is now posing as his principal. Okay, so you kind of got that mixed in. Everybody just thinks he's a big stinky guy. Now, Little D would have a small group of human friends who know his secret. They accept him. They play video games. They play in podcasts hogs for as long as that fad lasted they collect comics they do rollerblading stunts you know all the 90s stuff but aside from garlic man the main i don't want to say antagonist necessarily but the problem that comes into each episode is when he uses the magical amulet it opens up kind of a portal in the dimensional fabric and it's a monster dimension allowing one creature to come through each episode now sometimes they're friendly sometimes they're troublemakers sometimes they're destructive it's a russian roulette element that would just be that reoccurring sequence that everybody be like oh it's coming up it's coming up and then i want to add in an interactive element where kids could vote for what kind of creature would appear in upcoming episodes so it would be a, not a real vote you know what i'm saying like they would have it all planned out but the kids would think that their vote mattered so oh like real votes (laughs) exactly (laughs) but what do you think of that basic concept
0: i love that honestly especially if you're trying to return it to the core of being a show for kids i think that is a good way to take it it is a little bit vampirina it's a little bit ben 10 Like, it'll sell toys like Gangbusters. I think it works. I I was kind of going in a different direction. All right, let's hear it. I don't think this show was ever meant for kids. I think it was meant for an audience that might have existed, but the network TV landscape didn't allow for it, so they kiddified it. So, knowing what we know now, I would make this like an adult swim show. And I would fully embrace, it wouldn't just be Little Dracula, it could be The Draculas, for all I care. Because the families there, they're already getting equal screen time, let's just... Go with it. Little Dracula would be little D because he's trying to be cool and hip and fit in with the other kids. We would do certain tropes. There's certain ones I hate, but they always work out, such as hip grandma who doesn't act her age. I <laughs> loathe that ever since Mother Winslow, but it would work here if we have Grandma Dracula skateboarding or I'm late for my rollerblading lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we would do that. We would really kind of like hammer in on the like, yeah, big Dracula's killing people, but we're not going to dance around it. We would probably like Jonathan Winters as long did, but we'd sub in somebody like Bronson Pinchot. He can do voices, <laughs> but he comes cheap. You know, like I would skew this to an older audience. I'm not aiming for kids cuz nobody buys toys anymore anyway. So like if I had to bring this back right now it's an adult swim show right after aqua teen hunger force
1: oh i i just love the idea that they they would even just go hard on the killing like dracula is like just like destroying these people you know there's just blood everywhere like he's a messy eater and that's a running gag or something you know it's just like like they just they always do that and you're just like oh but then the rest of it is just sitcom comedy you know so yep. wow okay yeah so those are two different takes but i i think equally valid they could go you know in, in interesting ways for different audiences even like What if they were going simultaneously?
0: I was just about to say that, like Sonic. People forget there were two Sonics running concurrently (laughs) that were tonally and thematically
1: different, yet both voiced by Jaleel White. (laughs) So we would do that same thing. That would be awesome. All right. Well, hey, we hope you enjoyed this last little treat here. Yeah, again, if you're going to choose one of the shows to watch, Little Dracula is the one I would push for. It's at least more it's more of something than mini monsters was so if you like that something all the better but again thank you so much for checking out episode 3.5 here of remember that show and we will be back with episode four talking about Parker Lewis can't lose and I can't wait because there's so much to get into with this show there's tiny details and quirks that abound so we, we will have a very fun conversation coming up for you in November but hey if you want to get in touch with us, you can find me at hoju coolander on all the socials if you want to see a lot of the other podcasts i'm hosting they're on the retro network will where can they find you
0: i'm everywhere at william b
1: west or you can check my website westweekever.com all right and i will just point this out whether 90s comics are your thing or not will was just on a, a monumental episode of wizards the podcast guide to comics so if you want to come over there and just uh, hear us free wheeling and talking about an issue of wizard magazine from 1998 which had a lot (laughs) and will's going to be coming back too as we discuss a little bit more on our mini episode for that so if you like the Willie bruce west vibe you can find more of him there but hey we'll check you later been a presentation of the Retro Network.